0: Welcome to the Everyday Innovator Podcast for product managers, leaders, and innovators. Your host is Chad McAllister, helping you become a product master. Listen and get ready for higher performance, for the doctor is in.
1: Hi, this is Chad, and this is where product leaders and managers become. Product Masters, getting practical knowledge, influence, and confidence so you'll create those products that your customers will love. This podcast is getting a new name to better reflect our objective here. I just kind of told you what it was, helping product managers become Product Masters. So that new name, of course, is Product Masters Now. You don't need to do anything different to keep listening, but I want you to know the name change is coming so it's going to show up differently in your podcast player, not as the everyday innovator, but as Product Masters Now. Now, the logo essentially stays the same, so just look for that. Now, for this episode, you're in store for a really enriching discussion with someone who has more experience delighting customers than most of us will ever see. You'll learn a few important tools along with deepening your understanding of what it means to create products that customers love. Helping us with this is Chip R. Bell. He's been ranked for six years in a row as one of the top three keynote speakers in the world on customer service. Chip has appeared on multiple TV networks, and his work has been featured in several prominent publications. And you'll soon find out why. He's just a delight to talk with. And remember, we take notes for you. If you want to go back to anything that you hear, you'll find those insights at theeverdateinnovator.com slash three, two, one, along with a one page action guide to help you put the information into action now. Let's talk with Chip. Chip, thank you so much for being part of the Everyday Innovator podcast. Thanks, Chad. It's an honor to be with you.
2: Can't wait. This is going to be fun.
1: It is going to be fun. And you are talking about a topic that is near and dear to me because the very first time I got into I thought I was developing a software project, but it was actually a product work, right? And not knowing what any terms were or what I was even doing, it really kind of involved co-creation, and and that's going to be our topic today. So kick us off with giving us a foundation for that. What is co-creation?
2: Well, in a word, it's a partnership. And I think it is, in my use of the word, it's when you find a way to bring the customer and the organization together in a way that they are equals and have equal license to make contributions many organizations make products and services and solutions for the customer on behalf of the customer and this is all about with the customer so that's a, that's in essence the whole whole focus is is bringing in a, a party that in my case my case of my work not typically involved directly Mm-hmm. Into that process.
1: Okay. So a, a win-win partnership. Exactly.
2: Exactly. We're not thinking you know, ourselves as
1: doing like contract work for the customer, but we're doing work with them as a partner.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It's, and in my case, the application of co-creation obviously is much broader than I'm using it. I'm using it as an organization and a customer.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: But application is much broader than that. But basically it is co-meaning equal, meaning together partnership, it is you are creating in a collaborative way, co-laboring together hmm. with the goal of something, an output that is unique, different, innovative, ingenuity, you know, all of that. Mm-hmm. So
1: very good. So it, it would strike me that there's opportunities to co-create that you kind of stumble across, but there's yeah. probably some partners that are better than others. What what are some insights for finding co-creation partners?
2: They cut the ones that I focus on is it's customers who have a have a need, have a, an expectation and a need, and have the experience to be a contributor to that. Mm-hmm. If I'm designing a new electronic device and I want somebody who's working with me who has no sense of electronics, they're probably not going to be a great partner it, unless that of the focus is its application, its use how it hits the marketplace, those kinds of things. So there may be facet of it, but I need to have a qualified participant in the process. Mm-hmm. So that's, to me, uh, an, an important criteria. I don't just pick somebody off the street, but I'm targeting who I want with a goal of saying, can they make a contribution in a way that's unique and different than the way in which I normally might approach it. And so that's, to me, the the only criteria I can think of.
1: As you're talking about that, I was thinking one of the approaches we use in product management is lead users some of the time as a tool. And so th- these are people that tend to kind of be on the f- more front edge. Right. They, they, If we have an existing product, they might be the ones that use more of the product than a lot of people. Right. you know. And right. so lead users might want to be more engaged with us to right. you know, right. create a better version of things.
2: Right. It also, t- there is another group of customer participants in the process that are purely for catalytic purposes. Hmm. That's when I might bring in, if I'm in the middle of a creative process on a, on a new product or service, and I want total innocence to bring into the mix, and I'm working with customers, I might bring in children, I might hmm. bring in a third grader. And, and so to me, they're not there, they don't have usually the depth and expertise to create a product necessarily, but they have a catalytic role. And so that catalytic role, it helps stimulate because they ask crazy questions and weird questions and questions that don't reflect the normal, rational, logical view of the world. Mm-hmm. And so often that can be a stimulus to seeing product development in a new way. So yeah. that would be another criteria. But again, they're, they're not the focal point. They're just a catalyst.
1: Yeah, that sounds like the catalyst is a way to help us break out of our normal thinking about about a product, yeah, right? Exactly. Yeah. And there's some good examples. One, one of my friends that, that does a lot of consulting with the different government groups has ran into this more than once uh, of the pizza delivery person being the catalyst, right? And, and when they're in a group talking about a problem and the pizza delivery person shows up, they ask ask him or her and it's actually helpful.
2: Absolutely. I advise, I advise when I consult with companies, I say, talk to your drivers because they see it all, they know it all, et cetera, because they hear a lot. They're, they're a scout for you. And so they can provide input sometimes to help you better understand the target market, the customer, in a way that the security guard in the in, in the building, you know, people who, who hear and see things in a different light can often bring a sense of the, the kind of intelligence that you might otherwise miss. Yeah. And, and, and again, that to me enriches the creative process.
1: Absolutely. And that's what we need for innovation, right? We, yeah. we need multiple perspectives and we need to keep right. doing that. And, you know, and yes, and let's, let's keep making things yeah. better.
2: So. Absolutely. Yeah. I gave you a good friend of mine, a good, good example. I have a good friend of mine who used to be the general manager of a huge hotel in Dallas. And so he would hold one, one thing he would do is he would every quarter, he would hold focus groups with the taxi drivers who frequented his property. Hmm. It's because he knew that when the guest checked out and the front desk says, how was your stay? You're probably not going to learn much. Fine. You know, that's what they said. So he said, I want, I'm not learning anything about my guest and what's important to him. But I know that when they get in that taxi cab in route to, in this case, DFW airport, they probably going to say some stuff. And so if I get the, the uh, scout in this case, the, the taxi driver and I can pick their brain, I may gain some insight that I otherwise wouldn't get. Well, he did. Here's what happened. Not only did he gain a deeper understanding, but he gained insight. For example, he learned that when the guest uh, complained that the towels smelled a little scorched, like they'd been in the dryer too long in housekeeping, what was really going on is they were worried about a hotel fire started in housekeeping. Or if they complained about the fact that the the security one of the security lights was out in the parking lot, what they really worried about was security in their hallway. Or there are dust bowls under my bed. I bet there are bugs in here. Mm-hmm. And so it's that kind of connection that led to a different level of insight that you didn't just get by superficial understanding. And so I think that's another use for scouts. He would also have every week he'd hold a what's stupid around here meeting with, all, with employees. But he would always invite a guest, hotel guest, to be in that one hour meeting. Mm-hmm. And he would always bring a vendor to be a meet- part of that meeting. And the whole purpose was, what's stupid around here? And then people would say, "It don't make any sense. This doesn't make any sense. And then they, he, my job, he said, as a general manager is to go to work fixing those things that we learn about and hear about. Mm-hmm. But bringing in that guest to that employee conversation and a vendor to that employee conversation shed a whole different perspective and a depth to the understanding that otherwise he wouldn't have.
1: Right. I love that. Uh, you know, co-opting the taxi drivers to help yeah. you improve your business. And they got a free sure. breakfast. Yeah. <laughs> there, yeah. And I'm sure it also helped on the other side of that, that once they started getting involved and they started sure. you know, seeing action, they were yeah. probably also the taxi drivers telling the guests as they're taking them to the hotel yeah, exactly. what a great place this is.
2: Oh, yeah. And on the other end, they, they would say, what you like about the hotel? Because they knew right. they were going to be in that meeting. And so they were trained to be in scouts. Yep. Uh, and looking for things, and and if the conversation wasn't going, they they would direct the conversation, and so it was a great source of learning for the general manager.
1: That's really good. Yeah, and as product managers, we should be thinking about that, right? Who are the people yeah. that we can go get more insights from? than in from right. those groups. Yeah. So you you give us a blueprint for co creation in your book, Inside Your Customer's Imagination, and you right. describe five requirements of these partnerships. Yeah, um, I
2: call them secrets because they're sec- it's sexier. It, it's well, sexy, you know, catch it catches attention, right? The five word. secrets
1: of That's co-creation partnerships. It. They're kind
2: of mysterious, you know.
1: Like, ooh, okay. are, are you willing to give us the secrets? <laughs> okay. Here, here's where they came from,
2: Chad. One, I knew that I was going to talk about, I was going to, I was working on My work has been for a number of years now, all about customer customer service innovation, you know, not value added, value unique. What do I do to create a kind of, new experience that you go, I can't wait to tell somebody about this. It's like if service was a Cracker Jacks, you know, what would be the free prize inside? So it's that kind of thinking. So it's not linear. Value added is linear. You know, taking what the customer expects and adding more. Problem Mm -hmm. is you run out of room. Problem is you elevate the customer's expectations. So all of a sudden it's like, what are you going to do for me next? That unique goes, man, I never thought they'd do that. That's different. So that's been my whole body of work for the last five or six books. And so I knew I wanted to stay with that. And I wanted to focus on what would be it like to be including the customer in that innovative process. So I said, okay, let me look at the most innovative companies anybody could think of. And so if you went on the street and you asked somebody, what companies in America? Uh, are most innovative they're going to talk about amazon apple google pixar companies like that we we don't we all know the companies that that are producing the most innovative products services and solutions so i went to school on those companies to see what in their culture what in their culture helped contributed to that environment where innovation occurred and what was consistent across those were the five secrets they're highly curious very curious they're grounded on what they're trying to achieve. They're very focused. They focus on discovery, constant risk taking to learn, to uh, gain new aha's. They're very focused on creating a trustful environment so people aren't fearful to take those risks, and they're very passionate and they encourage a lot of passion in what they do. That energizes everybody, and so and they so that's those are the five secrets. So then I thought, okay these are the five components of a great culture in an organization that produces innovative products or services. What would that look like if you applied it to a relationship with a customer? Mm -hmm. Therein lies the book. So that's the, that, that's the secret. So for, I call them secrets for creating a partnership because, you know, we think about it, imagination inside the customer's imagination, imagination's on the inside. Right. And I like to think of it as a door opened only from the inside. And so the question is, what can I do to get that customer to open that door to share with me these crazy off the wall, unique, unusual insights that together we can apply to creating a new product service and deliver and, and, and a, and a partnership is the one, a co-creation partnership is what fosters that kind of relationship. So that's the, the overview of those five secrets.
0: Interrupting the interview to share something really important. We'll get back to the discussion in just a minute, but I want you to know about an extraordinary system called the Rapid Product Mastery or RPM experience. In just nine weeks, you can have a higher performing product team meeting only 75 minutes a week with no travel required. One product leader, after trying all the typical training workshops, turned to the RPM experience to get real change for his team. He said that this is the only training that provides an integrated product management perspective. It did exactly what I needed it to do. If you have a group of five to 14 product professionals, learn how you too can have a high performing team in just nine weeks, 75 minutes a week without travel. This is the system created by Chad based on his experience working as a product leader, coaching several organizations and deeply studying innovation during his PhD work. Get the guide for yourself at TheEverydayInnovator.com slash RPM.
1: To summarize, the, your focus on innovation, helping companies innovate, is really looking for opportunities to add something that delights the customer in an unexpected way. Is that fair?
2: That's fair, yes. And do it in a way that involves the customer. So two things. One is you get their cool ideas mixed in with your mm-hmm. creation. But two, you know, the old adage people care when they share. If I'm a part of it, if my fingerprints are on there, guess right. how my loyalty looks, you know? Right. So it's all about creating a, a a an advocate of your organization because the customer got to be a participant, not just a recipient. Mm-hmm. And so that's, that's the, the other byproduct is it's a path to customer loyalty.
1: Yeah, exactly. You're, you're creating buy-in, and in that yeah. partnership, you're getting them excited about about what... Exactly. Yeah, so. exactly. Okay. So l- let's start just with the time we have left get a little more detail about a few of these. Sure. Maybe you might have some examples along the oh, way yeah. too. So yeah. you, you said the first one was curiosity that, that leads to insight. Yeah. Uh, tell us good. about that.
2: So, okay, good. Curiosity is approaching an, 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 an inquiry without having any clue where it's going. Now, when people do interviews with customers or they do focus groups, they kind of know where it's going to go. So they're really kind of looking for confirmation. But what if you approached it as treasure hunting?
3: Mm-hmm.
2: What if you approached it as, we have no idea where this is going to go? Now I get the customer to be a part of that treasure hunting process. And and out of that comes a lot of cool stuff. I'll give you an example. You asked for some illustrations. I was working with a large uh, pizza delivery company, one that you'd know as soon as I named the company.
1: Probably use them every week. Yeah, probably
2: every week. Can't ring that doorbell. <laughs> At any rate, so they ask us to do focus groups with a number of their customers. And so we assumed that in the conversation with the customer, that we would be hearing about three things, price, product, process. Your pizza doesn't taste that good. When are you going to come out with pineapple pizza? You know, price is too much or it takes too long to get to me. It's too often late, the process. But- We got bored in doing all these things. Be honest, because we kept hearing the same thing, you know, because we were focused on their needs and expectations. So we said, what if we focused on their hopes and aspirations? What if we ask dreamer questions, questions that deliberately took the customer in a whole new world and gave you different insight? And so, for example, one of the questions we'd ask was, what's something no pizza company's doing that would be really cool? And one of the answers we kept hearing was, what about the box? And we go to the box. Yeah. You know, I get a pizza and I eat, eat the pizza, but I throw the box away. Why don't, why don't you do something? Why don't you do something with the box? And the company never thought about doing anything with the box. And we said, well, what do you mean? What would be some examples? Well, like the inside lid could be a puzzle. It could be a coloring book. It could be a mask you cut out any number of things. So sure enough, several years later, I'm working with a packaging company turned out to be the company that made pizza boxes for this company. And sure enough, inside the lid was all kind of cool things that draw on or play with mm-hmm. or puzzles. And all they did was put a sheet of wax paper between the lid and the pizza so it didn't get soiled. But there's an example that came only out of our left field by mm-hmm. being demonstrating that real curiosity with the customer. So that's I think that's one aspect to it is the, the dreamer questions you, you might ask a question, ask of a customer.
1: Yeah, and that's an addition to the the product that costs very little to yeah. change, and yeah. and offers new excitement about the product. Like, oh, this exactly. is, this is interesting. So
2: yeah.
3: yeah,
1: yeah, we have built solar ovens b- before out of pizza boxes. So maybe they could include sure. instructions on go. the lid for how yeah. to make a solar oven.
2: Absolutely, so, put your laptop computer on top of one. You know,
1: there, yeah. <laughs> The, the thing I think that stands out to me in, in that example and how you frame this for curiosity that leads to insights, for product managers, we're often, hopefully, involved with customers. And yeah. we hopefully know better than try to ask leading questions right. and assume what the responses are. But yeah. a lot, that is in our head, right? As you said, we're, we kind of expect what the responses will be. And we do yeah. really need to be curious go on the treasure hunt with the customer.
2: Right, Absolutely. And that takes you to old new places you didn't know you were going to go. And so yeah. to me, that's the, that's, a, it's, it's kind of like, you know, when you go to a family reunion or a high school reunion or college reunion, not only do you have too much food, but you get a lot of superficial conversation. Hey, you still mm-hmm. working at, you still doing with, and those are real superficial. So the goal is if I demonstrate, but you get once in a while, a friend or a family member who really wants to know what's going on with you, what's happening in your life. And they What's important to you? So they're interested in a deeper level. You walk away from those conversations, not just feeling heard and understood, you feel valued. And so how do I get my customer to feel valued in the process of demonstrating that curiosity? Mm -hmm. You know, one, one technique I talk about in the book is, is called be the customer. Now that I borrowed that from Little League and most of us have kids went Little League and somewhere along the way, there was a coach on the sidelines going, "Be be the ball, be the ball. (laughs) Yeah. Which was kept trying to get that kid at bat to stay focused on the ball after the pitcher released it. So they hit it. Well, if you be the customer, so to speak, you wind up seeing their world from a different angle. We all know too much. You know, we're too close to it. We don't see it. I'll give you an example. My wife's hairdresser, Johnny Adair, has been known to get a permanent. I said, Johnny? Why do you get a permanent? He said, well, I realized, I learned that getting a permanent is for a woman, one of the most awkward and embarrassing and uncomfortable things. So I figured if I could get a permanent, I'd literally be in their world and see it through their angles. And I could make changes in their experience that would improve the experience of getting a permanent. So that's an example of literally being the customer. But I think finding all kinds of techniques and ways to say, how can I be in the customer's shoes, see their angle, understand them? And then demonstrate that understanding in my relationship with them, which means they're going to be more open to opening that door and sharing the crazy off-the-wall ideas I need to create an innovative product.
1: Yep. From, from the software product world, we got this phrase, you have to eat your own dog food. Yeah. Right? You have exactly. to experience the product. Yep. It, And unfortunately, a a lot of product managers I talk to are actually in an environment where it's not easy for them to experience the product, right? They're creating something for customers that they don't have direct access to, and you got to eat your own dog food. So
2: you got to eat your own dog food, either directly or vicariously. You got to figure out a way so you know you know what that experience is like. You know what that product's like. You've been there, done that. You've been you know, and you find ways to be in that in that experience. So.
1: Good. The The way that you phrased it, the next secret in your book is grounding that promotes clear focus. Yeah. Tell us about grounding more.
2: Well, grounding is, what happens in the creative process is very easy to get rabbit holes are attractive. And so we get enticed to go down rabbit holes. If you've talked to the great product-making companies that have done incredibly well, they're intensely focused on, and in this case, that intersection between customers hopes and aspirations and the organization's mission because you don't want to produce something that doesn't fit your mission i mean you don't i mean that's there's no not going to be any commitment to that mm-hmm. but you also want to make sure that it's something that customers value as well and so finding that intersection is that focus how do i keep it focused on on the customer and 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 getting deep in that i gave you a, a fun example i live i live on a lake and i live on a golf course it's it's a golf course on beside a lake the hardest part, po- I'm, not, I'm not a golfer, but I pl- I've played some. I've played this, the core, and I'm on the 13th hole. The 14th hole is the one everybody talks about. It is about 140 yards par three, 140 yards. You can hit the ball to the pin with a putter. <laughs> <It's that laughs> but almost the entire hole is over water because the lake cuts into the golf course, and so... The the, consequently, there are a lot of balls out there in that lake. Mm -hmm. But the real good golfers know, don't pay attention to the lake. Stay focused on the pin where you're going. And so in much the same way, I think the organizations that stay, stay focused on what, what are we really about here? Appeal away. What's the root cause, if you will, and, and, and the root application. And I'll give you a fun example and one you may know. I did a lot of research to find the origin of this story and, and and what it was all about. But a large building contractor built a high-rise office building. And almost immediately when it opened, the tenants in the office building were complaining about the elevators. Mm. They were slow. And everybody was complaining. And so you may know the story. But they called in an engineer. And he said, well, you got to bite the bullet and build in another elevator. So he called in a time motion study. And oh, no, no, no. You've got to get your tenants to stagger when they're gonna come because they're all showing up to go to work about the same time. Obviously, that's gonna crowd. It. But then he said, "Well, why don't we talk to some of our tenants?" And in the process of talking to tenants, they learned the issue was less about the elevator and more about their impatience and the wait. So they put elevator they put mirrors in the lobby all around the elevator shaft, and so people would be so preoccupied with looking at themselves and other people in the mirrors they didn't notice the wait. So, again, it's that kind of thinking where we try to stay right on target, focused, and that's why I call it grounding. It gives Mm -hmm. you a sense of what are we about, why are we here, and therefore I can make decisions and pursue ideas consistent with that and not get distracted.
1: A really good tool for us as product managers for that is a customer journey map, right? Where we, we examine what is the customer's experience through something they're trying to accomplish? Right. Where are those friction points? Like, man, right. I really hate waiting for this elevator. Right, right. Right. What is it you want to get to? Right. And we can, we can understand better what they're actually trying to accomplish and how to right. minimize or remove the friction points.
2: Exactly. I'll give you a little extra footnote here. Mm-hmm. I invented that. Oh, journey mapping. T- tell us more. Let's say this would have been early 80s, Ron Zimke, who was, he's passed away now, but a business partner of mine and I were working with a, a large telephone company and we needed to have some way to call, call management to understand what the customer went through around telephone repair. So we're literally with the client, the senior leader of that area in a bar because we'd interviewed and done ride-alongs, drive-alongs, and sit-alongs with customer contact center operators and listen to the customer. We'd have customers talk us through it. And so we said, let us draw for you on a flip chart in the bar. We had a what the customer goes through, what we're hearing they're going through. And so he goes, I'm not believing that. So I said, well, let's take it to the customer because at the end, you got to verify it. We call it a cycle of service and moments of truth. Moments of truth are anytime your customer comes in contact with your organization and has an opportunity to form a thumbs up, thumbs down, or it's okay. And what what are they feeling when they encounter that? So we took it to the customer. Customers have to draw the map and take it to the customer. Is this what you go through? Talk us through it. And then what happened? Well, I got out of my car. And then what happened? Then I walked up. Then I knew. Then what happened? So it's all these trail of experiences that customers go through and they would say to us, "No, we don't do that. We do this, or no, actually we wait when this happens. before that." So he realized that the senior executive, when we finally began to say, "This is to get what we get in confirmation from the customers that they are going through," he goes, "We had no idea that this stuff was happening. We have no idea they were going through these steps. This was involved." And so then he started getting executives to go through the same thing as a customer, and they go, "Oh my goodness! No wonder our customers are upset when they call the call center because look what they go through." And so then. We kept writing about it. We've written, we wrote several books about it: Service Edge, Service Magic. They're all referenced all of that. And then over the years, it got the name got changed from Cycle Service to journey, Customer Journey Mapping. But we were the first to create that and write about it in the '80s. That's awesome.
1: Yeah, yeah. I had no idea. Yeah, we, we could have a whole discussion about that. It's, I should have uh,
2: copyrighted it or patented it or something. I know,
1: <laughs> right? The,
2: no, we don't think we didn't think like that. You know, if it works for us, it worked, give it away. Let other people find it beneficial. But it did. And and I think when we when other companies started using it, the big secret they missed was it's not about what you think, it's
1: what the customer thinks. Exactly.
2: Thought. So sitting down and drawing through what you think is gonna be wrong. Guaranteed you're going wrong, you're gonna miss steps, you're gonna add stuff you think is not really there. It, it, you know, it's not about your journey, it's about their journey. And so the only way you can do that is to get the customer to talk you through it, and 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 verify what you've got. And so yeah. leave, you can't leave the customer out because it's their journey, not yeah.
1: yours. It's a so. powerful tool and it to is. understand it, it from, from customer's perspective. Right. It's a tool I use when I do design thinking workshops with, with customers. Yeah. And, yeah. I always, and I always involve their customer in these workshops oh, yeah. so we, we can get that firsthand information sure. and draw out the map. So yeah. that's great. Uh, I, I'm glad to learn, learn, learn more <laughs> about the history there. So. I've been
2: around a little bit. <laughs>
1: And it's also a good example that a lot of us, we run into situations, where we're trying to figure them out, and we we make tools, right, to, to yeah, yeah. break through. And yeah. sometimes what we come up with is better than what we can find elsewhere. When I was a software project manager, we just kept running into s- similar issues, and we finally moved to a two-week epicycle approach. Yeah, And at the end of every other Friday, we would have demo day where everyone showed what they accomplished from a user's perspective.
3: Sure.
1: And sure sounded like sprints and scrum to me. And, you know, I, I just never sure. wrote the book either. So, <laughs> <That's> <laughs> so right. I would have been first if I had.
2: There you go. There
1: you go. Well, one, no of one, of the things that, cared.
2: one of the things that we did to this is each time we would take a moment of truth, some action on the part of the customer, some we would say, OK, we'd ask the customer, what we we call it a moment of truth impact analysis. We would take the customer's moment of truth, and then we say, okay, what typically should happen here? What Mm -hmm. should happen here? So they'd list in this one moment, this one encounter, what should happen are these things, okay? Then we would say, what would be a negative? What would be some typical things that we call them detractors? Mm -hmm. And then what are some things that would be delighters? And so we added that feature. And so all of a sudden, we began to realize that the things, just like Hertzberg's motivation hygiene theory, that the things that were on the detractor side weren't just opposite of the lighter side or vice versa. They were entirely different things. Mm -hmm. And so it gave a deeper understanding of a particular encounter, and it gave a path to, so what are some creative ways that we can enhance this particular moment in a customer's life? And so that's, you know... It's a, a, good, a good example of, of that is one just I'm working on now. new some new stuff on. I wrote an article in Forbes about it. Hampton Inn. Mm-hmm. Hampton Inn is when you go to a Hampton Inn, you got a coffee machine and two paper cups. I, for your I've cup been to coffee. many. Yep. Well, one of the encounters in there is you're traveling with your spouse or anyone. And if you both drank your coffee to fix the same way, at some point in that, morning when you're getting dressed with that coffee you're going to say is this one mine or is this one yours so what did hampton inn do on one cup they put lipstick like somebody kissed it and on the other one they put a mustache Hmm. small little thing imaginative thing but it's what i call anticipatory innovation it's less encounter predict customers going to come along and they go oh this which copy is mine is this it's not a big deal but wouldn't it be nice to have them not have to worry about that feature about drinking my coffee, Both these are black and I which one's your and so they came up with a real innovative way to do that. Mm-hmm. And so I think part of analyzing what the customer's going through in a single moment and the kind of things that, that that can you encounter, you know, I fixed two cups of coffee, then what happens? You know, and then analyze that, you go, we could fix that we could have them some way to identify which car co- we make the coffee cups different, something.
1: Yep.
2: And they find a fun way to do it, obviously, with a lipstick and a mustache. They could have made them different colors and same thing, yeah. but they wanted it to be a little different. And so that that's what I do with organizations to help them look at things like that and go, okay, through the mind of the customer, from the imagination of the customer, what would be a fun way to deal with this, imaginative way to deal with it, mm-hmm. and not just a traditional way. Blue and yeah. red cups, blue and pink cups, that's kind of old hat. Lipstick and a mustache, right. it's, it's, it's whimsical,
1: and the customer will remember it. And that's the thing. When you do it well, and you have lots of experience doing this well, it's those little moments that the customers yeah. tell their friends about later that stand exactly. out. And there, there are aspects of the product or the service that are, are – generally really low cost sometimes no cost to just add add to what's going on so i appreciate you taking us through this we we didn't get to more details on all the secrets but that's what your book is for and absolutely absolutely
2: have to read the book and see how what the other three secrets are that's right
1: we can dive into inside your customer's imagination i'll have links in the show notes uh, to make that easy to get to as listeners know i love an innovation quote and i asked you to bring us one what is that
2: Well, this is one of my favorite, and it's from my last book, Kaleidoscope, with subtitled Delivering Innovative Service at Sparkles. And it's a quote by Jacob Norby, but I think it is a very powerful quote. It goes, we wait, starving for moments of high magic to inspire us, but life is full of common enchantment waiting for our alchemist eyes to notice. That's That's a powerful line that innovation is all around us, just waiting for us to notice it. And so that's one of my favorite. So it's all about enchantment and the magic of enchantment. And it's mm.
1: everyday innovation. Yeah. And that enchantment relates well to the, those whimsical moments that you want to create as part of your product. Very good. How can listeners find out, I assume your, your book, we would go to Amazon, but what, what can uh-huh. you tell us? How can listeners find out more about your work?
2: No, oh, just go to my website. It's one yep. I can remember. It's chipbell.com. Chipbell.com. Pretty easy for me. <laughs> yeah,
1: like that. And, and easy yeah. to spell as well. So,
2: yeah, yeah,
1: exactly. So, yeah. Chipbell.com. Good. That's it. Again, links will be in the show notes. Chip, thank you so much for joining us and sharing your experience and oh, the things pleasure. we got to discover with you.
2: Yep. We had a lot of fun. I appreciate it, Chad. Thank you so much.
1: Thanks again for listening to The Everyday Innovator, soon to be the Product Masters Now podcast. This is where product leaders and managers become product masters, gaining practical knowledge, influence, and confidence so you'll create products customers love. Find all the details of what we talked about with Chip at theeverydayinnovator.com slash 321. Keep
0: innovating. Thank you for listening to The Everyday Innovator, which teaches product managers to become product masters. For more resources, please visit the everydayinnovator.com.